All right. If you'll turn, please, to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, we're going to revisit this precious passage that we began to look at last week. Uh, to those of you who are online, welcome. Glad that you can join us uh, once again this morning. This uh, passage is one of my very favorite, very favorite psalms because it speaks to the human condition so pointedly, so clearly and directly, and what the remedy for that condition is. We uh, spent some time talking last time about the whole idea of the emergencies of our souls and recognizing that like emergencies of our bodies, uh, there, there is a proper way to approach these and there's an improper way to approach these. If we have, if we have a, a physical emergency that arises today, none of us are going to sit passively by, I would think, and and say, well, it'll all just fix itself, um, or never mind, I don't need any help, folks, I can take care of this, no need to bother reaching out to any expert uh, help, uh, after all, it's, you know, it's just probably, who knows what it is, but uh, whether it seems like a heart attack, or whether it seems like some other thing, uh, it's, it's perfectly fine. No, we would call in some expert help. We would, we would not be so foolish as to think that we could fix it ourselves. But spiritually speaking, uh, it's all too often that when we come uh, to those kinds of emergencies uh, in, our, in our souls, in the, uh, our responses, whether emotionally or intellectually or whatever, to whatever is happening in our lives, we often take the attitude, it's okay, I got it from here. Don't really need any help. Don't need any counsel. Don't really need the Lord's help because after all, we may not say it that way, but the fact that we don't really pray about it is an indication that that's how we feel. So the Lord has a different perspective on that. Now he describes in this psalm through four stanzas, fairly comprehensive descriptions of the kinds of troubles that we get humans get into because sometimes because of our sin and sometimes just because of the fallen uh, condition, the corrupt condition of the world. And we find out in every case that the answer is the same. And that is that the Lord has the remedy for the emergencies of our souls as well as the emergencies that we experience in the physical realm. So uh, last time we... As as uh, as uh, Brother Mike reminded us, we spent some time talking about those who were wandering and lost. We'll review just a little bit about that. And then also about the prisoners. We're going to move on to the next stanzas and see how the Lord completely uh, answers those conditions as well. But uh, before we do that, I would invite you, if you're able, to stand with me, please. As I read Psalm 107, this psalm is untitled, but because of the psalms that uh, it's grouped with, it's, it's often presumed to be a psalm of David. We'll begin reading at the beginning, I'm going to read all of it, so um, please give close attention to God's holy word. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good. 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools because of their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of Yahweh, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to dwell in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of Yahweh. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please. Be seated. So the wanderers in that first stanza, those are the empty lost. Their, their stomachs are empty, their throats are dry, their, their minds are full of despair because they don't know where they're going and they don't know how to get there. 
They're looking for a place where they can be at peace, but instead wander around trying to find uh, the elusive waterhole, the elusive oasis, and can find no help. But God hears their cries. And remember last time we spent a little time looking at that idea of crying out, that they cry to the Lord in their trouble. This phrase that is repeated again and again and again through this psalm. And that this crying is not a half-hearted sort of cry, but it is a strong outcry. Uh, the original meaning, the root meaning of it, comes from a word that means to sound as thunder. It, it's it's uh, not paying any attention to what uh, anybody might think or do. You are so desperate, you come to the Lord and leaving, uh, leaving nothing uh, uh, to leaving nothing for granted, leaving nothing, uh, uh, no part of your heart tucked away safely. You give it all to the Lord. You give it all to Him. You're just, Lord, help me. I have nothing to offer. This is the cry of the wanderer and the Lord hears that. And we, we noted how Christ fulfills all of the things that are stated here that the, the, the wanderers are going through. They're lost. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They are exhausted. And we, we saw uh, from the uh, words of the New Testament, the descriptions of our Lord and Savior. I am the way. I am the living bread. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give will never thirst. And come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Truly, our Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to the wanderer, to the empty lost, because he fills. He who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily fills us up by his spirit with all that we need. And then the next stanza spoke of the prisoners. And this, this group of lost folks are lost because of their rebellion. Now certainly there are prisoners out there that are victims of, of human corruption, granted. But what is spoken of here are those who are prisoners because of their own folly, because of their own rebellion against God, and the Lord brings them uh, into bondage. They're in affliction and in iron because they rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Of course, this can happen, obviously, in the temporal human situation, right? But there's also a spiritual reality here as well. When our souls are in bondage to sin, we're... we're tormented because of guilt and the miseries of our sin and the consequences of it. And we are in that condition not because we're victims. Sometimes uh, that expression that probably most everybody here has heard, the, the devil made me do it. After all, I'm just a victim. You know, that crafty adversary, that wicked adversary, he's the one who compelled me to do these things. And the Lord doesn't give us that out. We are, by nature, rebels against our king. And in that condition, uh, the, certainly we are encouraged by the adversary, deluded to think that we can get away with it by the adversary and our own pride. But nonetheless, the responsibility for our condition lies with us. 
And only the Lord can deliver us from our sins. Only the Lord can deliver us from our rebellion. And we spent some time talking about the guilt of the prisoners, that they were in, in bondage and slavery under, to sin under God's judgment. And what do they do? They cry out when they come to the end of themselves, when they, they realize that, like the prisoner uh, who, the thief on the cross hanging next to the Lord Jesus who said, um, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Have mercy, because he knew that he deserved to be there and Christ didn't. Or like the publican who stands on the street corner and doesn't lift up his eyes to heaven and say, uh, Lord, I'm so thankful that uh, you know I'm a pretty good guy and you know I'm glad that I've worked my way into your heart and you're now going to redeem me. No, he says, Lord, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. And Jesus said he's the one who went down to his house justified. When we cry out to the Lord in that condition, by his mercy, by his grace, he answers that prayer. And he does it again through the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the the covering, the answer to our sins. He grants that freedom from guilt. He himself is the propitiation, the the means of forgiveness for our sins. Um, He uh, is the one uh, who was slain and has redeemed us unto God by his own blood from, uh, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He is the one who will deliver us from the body of this death, our Lord Jesus Christ. When we cry out to him, pleading his mercy, God grants an answer to that prayer that is precious and eternal and gives us peace. So now we come to the, the next two, the, the final two stanzas that describe the human condition. There's a closing stanza that sort of summarizes all that God does, and we'll refer to that in a little bit as well. He moves on to those who are sick, who are in affliction. This begins at verse 17. And here again, this affliction is brought on in this it's being spoken of here these afflictions are being brought on because of our own foolishness yep the apostle paul is going to echo these words in romans chapter one when he speaks of those who have rebelled against god they engage in perversity in every possible way and then bear the consequences of that perversity in their own flesh Now, this is not to say that every time we get sick or have a cold or, you know, get uh, whatever bug is going around lately that uh, clearly, uh, you know, we obviously sinned and there's an immediate cause and effect every time there. Um, Jesus put the kibosh on that idea when he asked the disciples about the, the, the guys who were over in Siloam, that the tower fell on them. Do you remember that from uh, the New Testament where he says, now, uh, did these guys, were they worse sinners than anybody else? Is that why the tower fell on them and killed them? No, he says, uh, that happened in God's providence to bring glory to God in some way. It didn't have anything to do with any particular specific action on their part. 
But there is a general truth that, uh, in, the, in the big picture of things, why is there disease in this world? Why is there affliction in this world? Why are our bodies subject to, to pain and decay and corruption in this world? And it's because of sin. So in a very real way, while there's not a direct correlation one-to-one to, well, you know, you had a stroke recently. You must have really sinned bad, brother. Is that, is that a biblical way to approach things? No, it isn't. Whatever the Lord's reasons were in allowing that, ordaining it, they were for His glory and your good. His name would be glorified through how he ordained that you progress through that whole situation. And we, I think as we've visited, we've seen that and talked about that and rejoiced in it. Uh, if those things hadn't happened, certain other things wouldn't have happened in God's providence. And the, the word of God would not have gone out in the same kind of power and effectiveness that it did through the testimony of our brother in the midst of all that situation. But the bottom line is that there are many times when we get into the afflictions that we get into in our bodies because of the foolish and ungodly decisions we made in our youth. That old saying, the chickens do come home to roost eventually, is quite true. And so... uh, when we look at those, those kinds of things in our lives, we can understand that, okay, Lord, you've ordained these, you've brought these things about in my physical condition. These afflictions are here, <clears throat> even to the point of loathing food and drawing near to the gates of death. But there are other kinds of sicknesses as well, if we can put it that way, afflictions as well that come upon our souls. Because we... We, in our sinful ways, in our iniquities, we thought that we didn't have to uh, submit ourselves to God. We thought that His Word wasn't significant enough to spend any time in, so we actually knew who it was that we're supposed to worship. We think that we can just go on and supply for ourselves and not have to depend upon the Lord for our very breath. And so we we engage in spiritual practices where we... we, uh, indulge in wicked thinking, in putting into our minds things that are ungodly, but thinking, well, you know, it's kind of the equivalent of I can go ahead and uh, do the spiritual equivalent of let me just inject my body with all kinds of poisons and then expect somehow that it's not going to react. We do the same thing in our souls. And we have lots of temptations to do that in this world all around us. The world is constantly striving to uh, be sure that everybody in it is following along a worldview that leaves God out of the picture. And when we do that, there are consequences. And whether it's physical foolishness or spiritual foolishness, the wicked are foolish and they're dying. They're prone to repeated illness. Can't seem to get out of this, this spiritual hole I'm in or out of the physical hole that I'm in. 
So, confession time. You know, at Presbytery, <clears throat> which was an awesome day, but somebody brought a lot of candy. And you know, when, when, when Presbytery was over, they didn't take their candy home, they left it here. This is not a good thing. What's the defini definition of insanity? That those uh, insanity is that you repeat the same behavior over and over again and expect a different result. Now, I would like to be a little lighter. Let's just put it that way. And I know that. I think about that. And I think about it when I, I thought about it last week as I went back into Fellowship Hall and saw that bowl of candy and took a handful and brought it to my office. After all, it's just a few, and the most of it's back there, and I'll just bring it in here. And yet, as my wife reminds me, you know, you want to lose weight, <clears throat> but you keep violating the very principles that would help you to do that. So, my blessings upon Brother Tom, who I pleaded with him to take the candy away. And he did, and took it to the senior center. And, well, I'd like to say I prayed for those who consumed all of that, but I was just mostly thankful that it was, no, it was out of my reach because I apparently was having trouble not paying attention to doing the things that uh, the Lord would think would be prudent to accomplish a certain goal. Well, we get sick, we have our afflictions and all of that because we do the same thing. We think, well, it's just a little bit. After all, um, I'm, I'm not just diving in. It was a big bowl. Almost could have. But I didn't. If I have just a few, it'll just, I'll, let it, I'll spread it out through the day. Like that will help. Of course, it lasts about 10 minutes. Um, you can't expect spiritual health if you're constantly filling your heart with what is godless, with what is in rebellion against Him, with denying what His Word says, coming up with your own version to suit you. You won't find any peace. You won't find spiritual deliverance, just as you would not in a physical context. You know, we look at those who are in affliction and in sorrow, and we can... Very easily, if we have tender hearts at all, we can look at those who are caught in the consequences of sin, whether physical or spiritual. And we can feel great sympathy. And that's fine. That's a good thing. But there's much more here than just a, a temporary illness involved. St. Augustine, in a, in a funeral sermon that he preached... Um, centuries ago asked this question or made a statement and then asked a question. He said, we weep for the body from which the soul has departed. How much more should we weep for the soul from whom God has departed? Souls that because of their sinful ways and their iniquities are far from God and God rejects them because of their sin. And 
and issues forth the consequences. Well, we, we're, we can be really good about saying, oh, those consequences, those are really awful, but we don't really deal with why those consequences are there. But there is a remedy to those who are caught in such affliction. And once again, we see it in verse 19. What did they do? They cry out to the Lord. And when they cry out, the great physician answers. Christ is our great physician. He's the one who gives life when all hope is gone. David says in Psalm 103, verses 3 through 5, that the Lord is the one who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He is the one who came to redeem us from our sins and our foolishness and our pride and our iniquity. All of these things that get us into so much trouble, physically and spiritually. So the Lord rescues the wanderers, the empty lost. He rescues the prisoners, the rebellious lost. He rescues the sick, the afflicted lost. And then the last, for, uh, the last stanza, verses 23 through 32, takes a little different turn. Now, the people that are in view here are still in trouble. So I'm calling them the troubled lost. But uh, in this particular case, there's no indictment of them. They're not in trouble on the sea because they were wicked, because they were doing something they weren't supposed to do. Quite the opposite, in fact. They were going about their daily business, the things that were, were expected normal behavior, things that are just part of being in this world as we go about doing our thing, whatever it is. And in the midst of that, the, uh, the one who's, who's uh, causing the problem here, think about this, is the Lord himself. Let that sink in for a minute. I remember years and years and years ago when Karen uh, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, a family member who was very dear to us, uh, but uh, was uh, having a conversation with another family member, <laughs> but basically took the attitude, I, I, uh, the one said, well, you know, the Lord has ordained this, basically, for whatever purpose, and his name will be glorified. And the other person responded, oh, no, the, Lord's, the Lord has nothing to do with this. The Lord's not in charge of this. The Lord, the Lord would not have let anything like this happen, which, of course, theologically doesn't make any sense whatsoever, unless... Um, you deny entirely that God is sovereign and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-wise. But it's hard for us to, to deal with, isn't it? Why does the Lord allow this to happen? How can this be? Now, it may be that something came into, uh, into our life because of our foolishness, because of our rebellion. But sometimes... 
the Lord just bring, brings us to the end of ourselves in the midst of this fallen world that is subject to corruption, that is subject to failure, that is subject to things not lining up and things not working well, to accidents, disasters, and all those things. And he sovereignly ordains all of them in order that he might be glorified in the earth. To bring us to, the, to our knees, to remind us, as I said last week, and as many others have said before me, that he is God and we are not. And that's what we see here as the Lord rescues the storm tossed, the trouble. They are doing business. They're, 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 not, they're not engaged in small things. These aren't the little coastal traders in this imagery here. These are the deep sea sailors that are doing the big cargo work, moving things from all over. Uh, do you remember, uh, oh, it's been a couple months back now, several months back, we were talking about the bronze sword of Goliath and, and uh, why, how expensive that was and why, why it was so expensive. Because the tin to make the bronze had, came from Wales in the British Isles. Just kind of put yourself back. You know, they didn't have the big cargo, big, big cargo ships like we have now that hardly, you, you hardly know if there's a storm. Uh, the, I mean, they were larger ships for the, the bigger um, duty, but they were still pretty small by our standards. And they're sailing through the Mediterranean and out into the Atlantic and all the way up through that, those stormy seas to go up uh, into the North Atlantic to go up to Wales and then come back with all that stuff. This is those, these are those kind of sailors. They're out there doing even important stuff. And yet, even in the midst of that, uh, yeah, they're the big, they're the big time cargo haulers, but ultimately uh, they're pretty small. They're away from all help. They're tossed by troubles. And notice what it says there that they saw the deeds of Yahweh. I mean, they're out there. They see the evidence. They, they know that they are at the mercy of the elements. They know it to a certain extent. They, they, yes, they have skills, and yes, that will help them out. But ultimately, there's, a, there's an end to where their skills are. Most of us don't like to think about that. We've got our minds, we've got our education, we've got our experience, we've got our families, we've got... You know, our, our livelihoods, the things that the, the skills, what we know to do, and we tend to do we not tend to begin to trust in our ability to carry on. And when we do, the Lord is faithful to his people to remind them that he's the one who sustains you. Because we live by permission, beloved, not by good management. But when we're tossed, when we're away from all help, when we are at our wit's end, these are skillful sailors, but they're staggering around, trying to grab lines, rails, masts, anything to avoid being washed overboard. 
Remember the sailors uh, that Paul sailed with uh, when uh, his, he was shipwrecked on the island of Melita? And the, the sailors, were, they were throwing everything overboard. They were just trying to do anything that they could. They were desperate. They threw some things away that uh, would probably have been good to keep, but they threw it all away just to lighten the ship so that it would bob like a cork as much as possible, which uh, with 200-plus people on board, it was already weighed down. Um, the sailors and the soldiers were probably thinking, you know, if we got rid of some of these prisoners, we could probably do a little better. But the Lord did not allow that. But the point is that they, they were desperate. They were all praying to their respective gods. And Paul stands up. I would have loved to have been there. Here's this storm just howling. And the ships going up and down. And Paul stands there and says, Well, brethren, now, see, if you'd have just listened to me, we wouldn't be in this mess. But I serve the God of heaven. And you know what? We're going to get... We're going, to, we're going to get to a, a safe haven. Uh, the Lord's told me that all of us are going to be redeemed, going to be saved out of this predicament. Not spiritually redeemed, but all of us will be saved from this predicament. So carry on. Uh, let's have a little, let's, let's eat a little bit, you know. It's just a remarkable, remarkable scene. Um, and they all do. That's even more remarkable. They go, okay, yeah, let's eat. Yeah. And the Lord just keeps driving them on puts them up on the rocks, they end up on the beach, and you know the rest of the story. But here again, those that, I'll just say, through no fault of their own, find themselves in tremendous storms of life. The solution for them as well is to humble themselves before God and cry out. Because he does answer. The Lord Jesus Christ truly is our pilot. Uh, one of the most hated uh, bumper stickers, at least in my mind, um, that uh, I can remember in, in my life, um, is the one that says, God is my co-pilot. That one just... Chaps my hide. If God is our co-pilot, that means that we are, we are retaining control of the wheel. And that when we, get, when we get to the point where we can't control it anymore, then, well, okay, go ahead, you give it a shot, God. That, that's really what that phrase says to me. He is our pilot. We've got no real... We got no right to be in the wheelhouse. We need to be trusting our Savior because He is the one who calms storms with a word. He is the one who brings us surely into safety. Anybody uh, familiar with the Oregon coast? Remember the Depot Bay? Maybe the Depot Bay, the world's smallest harbor. Oh, if you haven't, you need to go. You need to go look it up, and try to find some video somewhere of people bringing their fishing boats into that harbor. It's scary. It's tiny. It's about as wide as this sanctuary, and not kidding. And the rocks go. They kind of cut under like 
I don't remember which way it is. Um, there's one little channel. The waves are coming into this. You have to ride the swell, and you have to kind of turn in the middle of it to avoid this. Up. And every time I watch a boat come in there, I go, whoo. And yet, for, for many of us, our lives are that way. We're trying to come into this, this desired haven, this place of peace and safety. But to cross the bar requires somebody who actually knows what they're doing. It would be the height of foolishness for me if I was on one of those boats to say, hey, Captain, uh, let me give a try to this. Um, how's your insurance? Is it all paid up? Because uh, they would certainly need it. The Lord is the one who can take us through all of those deadly shoals. He is the one who brings us into that desired haven. Indeed, um, as I read this, perhaps your mind went fast forward to the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. When in Mark chapter 4, he arose, he was in the boat in this great storm on the Sea of Galilee, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. What was the response of the disciples? Great fear. Incredible awe. Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the storms of life knows how to navigate us through those things. Who knows that uh, we are unable and requires of us that we take our hands off the wheel and leave it to him. Because he's the one who rescues the storm-tossed. So this psalm, I think I mentioned this last time in my closing remarks. This psalm is the answer to the prayer of Psalm 106 in, verses, uh, 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 in verse 47. Save us, O Yahweh, our God, and gather us from among, the, from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. This cry for deliverance is answered in every single circumstance of human existence that's brought upon us by sin or by the corrective hand of an almighty God who knows that we need to walk humbly before him. And so it even begins in, in the opening verses there that the redeemed of the Lord are those whom he's gathered. That was the answer to the prayer. That he's gathered them from all points of the compass. And he continues to gather us. And so, uh, as we, uh, we see there, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. This psalm, Psalm 107, truly is the psalm or the song of the redeemed. Can you sing this song? Did you find in these descriptions pictures of your own condition at some time or the other in your life? Perhaps more than one. But have you been rescued out of those situations? You know, once, once rescued, your perspective on all of life changes. In all of these 
stanzas, those who are in the lost condition are desperate, they're crying out, they long for something that they can't attain to. And they wonder how it's going to happen, and they it's just kind of, well, Lord, help. Kind of the foxhole kind of prayer, almost. But once redeemed, once delivered, look at the change in the whole perspective that begins at verse 33. I won't take time to go through all of these this morning. But basically, it's a recognition that God is sovereign over all things. He brings, he brings desert conditions when it's in his desire to do so. And he brings fruitful uh, conditions, pools of water, healthy crops, all of these things. He's the one who ordains all of these things. And the, the attitude here is, I'm at peace. I'm at rest. The Lord's, the Lord's got this. He's the one who, uh, who delivers all of his people. When people are, are diminished, when, they're, when, it's, when there's oppression and strife and affliction, he delivers out of that. And those that would stand against God's people, he talks about contempt on princes, those that would oppress God's people, governments beware. He says he brings them low, pours contempt on them, makes them wander in trackless wastes, but raises up the needy, makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. Wickedness has to shut its mouth because God, has show, God shows himself in his deliverance of his people that he is great and mighty and that the world can do nothing about that. So there's the final admonition here. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. If you're unwise and unrescued, well then your destruction hangs over you. But God's mercy is sure. Again, I mentioned this last time, I'll remind you this time. How many, how many repetitions of the phrase steadfast love do you see in this psalm? It bookends it, beginning and end, and then throughout, at the end of, at, at, in each stanza. Let them be thankful for the steadfast love of the Lord. Six times. It permeates the whole thing. Woven in is God's covenant mercy. The fact that he is faithful to his, himself and his promises. From beginning to end. And that covenant will never fail. So if you find yourself in the uh, frame of mind that is typical of the first of those four stanzas, it's time to call out to him, to cry out to him for mercy. Plead his mercy, which is his plan of redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ that none can overthrow. Consider, as it says, the steadfast love of Yahweh. And as the writer of Hebrews puts it, let come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this precious psalm. Thank you for your mercy which never fails. We thank you, Lord, that you Hear us. 
when by your grace you give us the ability and the faith even, your gift to call out to you in the first place. And we thank you that you answer. Lord, I pray that you would so work in our hearts that we would not return to the kind of thinking and behaviors that get us into the the difficulties that are described here. But Lord, as we reflect upon your steadfast love and upon your Savior, Jesus Christ, who has accomplished all for us already, Lord, let us take our hand off the wheel. And you, Lord, bring us home. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.